Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. We all know what it's like to be disconnected from someone, and then we have to sit down and talk things out. It's often that way with God, too. The Lord often sits and waits for us to come to Him. Yet after a time, if we don't, God will come to us as individuals, groups, or even a nation. It's crucial for us to remember that God warns us because He loves us. While many people don't want to hear that, God's warnings will often keep us from crossing the line and from the consequences of ignoring the Lord's word to us. To learn more, here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, When God Leaves a Note. Sometimes it feels like in life we are, as the expression goes, ships passing in the night. Kind of we feel that way with our friends, our, our family, our co-workers. And then every once in a while, you may get a note regarding that. And the note simply says this, or the email or the text, it simply says this, we need to talk. And the title of our message today is, When God Leaves a Note. When God leaves a note. While it is a note for each of us, it's also a note for the nation of Israel. It's a note for the United States. And it is certainly a note for the church in America. It's about 20 to 30 years since the end of chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar repented. And the Babylonian Empire in that brief time of 20 to 30 years, has fallen apart. Many people feel the same way about the United States, that in a brief period of time, we have fallen apart, or many feel we are falling apart. I mean, think of it, 20 to 30 years. That is very fast. Yet once again here in chapter 5, God writes to his people who are prisoners of war in Babylon that he is in control, that he is sovereign, which means he is in control. Yet something we're going to say over and over and over again today, because he loves, God warns. Sometimes we talk about the love of God and it's that mushy Hollywood love. But God's love is demonstrated in his, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But, but this cross serves not only as the way to salvation, but as a warning for those who would turn their back on God. And what happened to Babylon essentially had already happened. What's going to happen to Babylon is essentially what already happened to Israel. But Israel, unlike Babylon, is going to get a second chance. It's been about 70 years since the events of chapter 1, and God had said to his people through the prophets that you would be exiled for 70 years. And yet, as we see in Babylon, when, when sin abounds, we must be careful. We especially must be careful when God is silent. When God is very silent, I guess it's still somewhat true today, but people used to warn people in my company when I was in business, they would say, you know, as long as he's telling you how to improve, don't worry about it. But if Jim stops talking to you 
And I was, didn't have a motion disorder that kept me away from people back then. They say, when he stops talking to you, start looking for a job. Because that means he's no longer trying to press constant improvement into your life. When God is silent, when you are sinning, and you know it, and God is silent, be very, very careful. It's like water rising up behind a dam. Eventually, God's long-suffering will end, and like the dam might burst forth, God's wrath will burst forth. In Daniel chapter 5, Babylon's arrogance crosses the line, but it also happens to individuals. It happens to nations, and it happens to individuals. We can only push God so far. So Daniel chapter 5, verse 1 through 4 sets the scene. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, a thousand of his nobles. So that's a big feast, right? A thousand people, and who knows if they brought guests with them, and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, some versions say while he was under the influence Belshazzar gave the command to bring gold and silver vessels, which his father, now it could be his grandfather, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, most scholars think was his grandfather, and then Nebuchadnezzar's son was the king, and Belshazzar is, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He is co-regents right now, meaning his father, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and he are both king at the same time. So he gave the command to bring gold and silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem. Some people want to say, oh, that's a Bible inconsistency. It's not his father. That's the way they spoke. It called Jesus the son of David. Well, was he the son of David? No, generations and generations. It's a thousand years apart from him, but that's the way they spoke. That the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So he, they, so, he, so he calls for gold vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And he said that his wives and his concubines, we, his, non, his, his sexual you know, women that he was using there, might drink from them. So they take the vessels that had come out of the temple. They bring them into the party. They're filling them with wine They're drinking out of them, no doubt mocking the God of Israel. Verse 3, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. So they're praising their gods, toasting the goblets from the temple. Now, we only see part of the situation here in verses 1 through 4, and we don't see, for several reasons, two in particular, this is the height of arrogance. They are throwing this huge party at the worst possible time. You say, why? Because outside their massive city walls, which they thought nobody could ever get through, they trusted in the walls, Babylon is surrounded by the Persian army. Now, the Euphrates River ran through the city. They felt that they had plenty of water. Bible scholars said that Babylon was so well stocked and supplied, they had food to last a number of years, 
Belshazzar's father, the real king, is out of Babylon. He's out fighting battles elsewhere against the Medes and the Persians, fighting for the empire, and he is losing. And the empire is crumbling, and the rest of the nation is in peril. Chapter 5 makes it obvious to us to see that sin blinds our eyes to the truth of what's really going on. So kingdoms falling apart, we're surrounded, no big deal. Let's have a party. Nobody can beat us. Nobody can beat us. We're Babylon. We control the world. Belshazzar's attitude seems to be, who cares? They can't hurt us. We have a wall. Let's party. What a fool, right? What a complete fool. (laughs) You know, for all his sin, you got to give Nebuchadnezzar credit for one thing. God gave it to him. We learned that earlier in the book, but he built an empire. This guy, all he can do, he did nothing. He inherited an empire. This guy, all he can do is mock and critique. Isn't that typical of people who've never accomplished anything in their life? All they can do is mock and critique the actions of others. I want to go on record here as saying that I am so thankful for the builders in this church. I am so thankful for those of you who are really, you're, you know, I grew up, most of you know, I grew up across the street from a horse farm. So we used to use the chomping at the bit like horses do. And we, you're, you're chomping at the bit for the fall, for the opportunity to invite people to church, to say, come on, you got to come check this out, right? You got to, you know, just come and you'll be able to sing to the music. You'll understand what the pastor says. You might not like it, but you'll understand what the pastor says. And just come, you, you come check it out. Or, or friends that have been away for a while and just say, come back. You can't wait for that because you, you are a builder. You are a pioneer in Morris County in Northwest New Jersey. You're not a settler, right? Northwest New Jersey has plenty of settlers. We don't need any more settlers. We need Christian pioneers, not Christian settlers. But I want to beg you if you are a critic to stop and to become a builder. To stop being a settler who just critiques everything, but be, about, be someone who is about building God's kingdom. Whatever has gotten you off track, forget about it. Leave it behind and get back on track with the Lord. Proverbs 6, 12 through 15 says this, a worthless person or a troublemaker, a wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. Some versions say a corrupt mouth or a dishonest mouth. He winks with his eyes. So watch out for those winkers, right? (laughs) He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises or plots evil continually. He sows discord. Some versions say he stirs up conflict or trouble. 
Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Let's go for something a little more familiar. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Some versions say an arrogant spirit before a fall. To further his arrogance while they are surrounded, as he gets drunk, what does he say? Hey, my father, my grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, he took a bunch of vessels out of the temple in Jerusalem. Somebody go get them and we could drink out of them. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, okay, there's a few, few cups out of the temple. What's the big deal? Ezra tells us that Nebuchadnezzar took 5,400 vessels out of the temple in Jerusalem. So, I mean, it, while they're drinking, they, they get, the servants are taking all this stuff. They're like, what do they got? How many do you want? Oh, bring them all. You know, I'm like, keep bringing them. Keep them coming. So what's he doing? He's getting in God's face. He's saying, listen, we went to Jerusalem. No, Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem. We defeated you. No, God, remember, God gave Jerusalem into their hand because of the disobedience of God's people. And now he's telling God, we can do whatever we want. I mean, I'm sure you can see it. This complete loser is just guzzling a glass of wine, goblet of wine after goblet of wine after goblet of wine, throwing down the cup of judgment on God, boom after every cup, boom after every cup, wiping his mouth. Pour me another one. Pour me another one. Let me try that vessel. Let me try that vessel. Just drinking and drinking and drinking. And the people are saying, this Yahweh, nothing. He's nothing. But there's a lot of people like this, aren't there? They think that they're smarter than God. They think that they are more powerful than God. Masters of their own destiny. Oh, what fools. Isaiah uh, chapter 47 had said this well over 100 years earlier, verse 10 and 11, uh, to the Babylonians, he says, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. Does that sound like a lot of people that you know? Many of us would say, that was me. <laughs> Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall upon you. Let me stop right there for a second. Uh, let me tell you something, whether you're here or you're watching online or you're in another room. You know, the trouble that befalls you, it's, it's quite possible that the trouble in your life is from God. Remember, we talked in another message about you can't get any traction in anything. And God is getting in the way of everything that's going on. He's frustrating all of your plans. Why? He wants your attention. He wants your attention. 
So he says, therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises and trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. In other words, what was Isaiah telling to the Babylonians? You cannot escape the judgment of God. Now, if this is written long before the Babylonians invaded Israel and treated them the way they did. They didn't have to continue in the way that they were going, did they? But because God loves, God warns. Verse five. You know, some people sober up with a drink, a cup of coffee. Much quicker to meet God. (laughs) In that same hour, The fingers of a man's hand, so a human hand just appears out of nowhere, appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, another version says, the king watched the hand that was writing. Some people say, why doesn't that stuff happen anymore? Well, we're told in the book of Hebrews that now God speaks through his son. Verse 6. Then the king's countenance changed. Another version says his face turned pale and his thoughts troubled him. You think? Some versions say they alarmed him, frightened him, terrified him. So that the joints of his hips were loosened. Literally, the joints of his loins were loosened and his knees knocked against each other's, against each other. Now, Many Bible scholars think he actually had an accident. Once again, you can picture the little Hebrew kids saying, Daddy, 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 read us the story about when the the king went peepees and poopies in his his pants because he was afraid of God writing on the wall. And you say to your wife, why don't you ever read those stories to the kids? And she's like, that's your job. You're the gross dad. Okay. And so, and so you just picture them just wanting to laugh it up. So this hand starts writing on the wall and the king becomes completely unglued, completely unhinged. And if he did have an accident, he probably is humiliated. You know, while I was reading the first part and thinking you're surrounded in your partying, I thought pride comes before a fall. When I was reading this section, all I could think of was Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. J.B. Phillips put it this way. Do not be under any illusion that you can make a fool of God. I truly believe this is the hand of God writing. The same hand that wrote the Ten Commandments. Now writing and warning this king. Why? Well, let me say it a third time. God warns because he loves. Because he loves, God warns. And sadly, less and less people are willing to hear it. That's not just society. That's also in the church. 
And this is something I want to be so wrong about, but I think COVID really did prove that I wasn't wrong about it. That the handwriting is on the wall. If the church in America is unwilling to hear the warnings of God, it will become very weak. Very, very weak. And I think it's interesting that a lot of this stuff that we've been exporting outside of the country, a lot of the nations where the gospel is on fire is starting to kick our teaching out and sending missionaries here. I was talking to a fellow from Nigeria and he said, we are sending tons of missionaries to the United States of America because we know that that teaching, some of the teaching, prosperity, easy stuff, not mentioning of sin, it came to our country and it brought us nothing. And now we are focusing in on great theology and we want to bring it back to the United States of America. Let us welcome them with open arms because we need all the help we can get. So what does a Babylonian king do in such a situation? Verse 7 tells us, The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, some versions say the mediums, the enchanters. So you remember we met them earlier, right? Harry Potter and his friends. They're called in. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. In other words, he'll have the third highest position in the kingdom. So remember his Nebuchadnezzar's son, his father is probably the real king. This, this joker that we're dealing with now, Belshazzar, is their co-regents, but he's number two in the kingdom. He's going to say, so I'm going to put you right underneath us. Verse 8. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing and, or none of them could read the writing or make known the king's interpretation. They're like, if we can't understand what it says, what he wrote on the wall, how are we going to tell you what it says? Then after he heard they couldn't read it and they couldn't interpret it, it says King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. In other words, he became more terrified. His countenance was changed. And his lords were astonished or they were bewildered. So this is all of a sudden, this this party scene is going bad very, very quickly. The king doesn't understand the message, but he's pretty sure it's bad news. So he sends for the wise men. So he sends for the PhDs. He is so fearful of what is written on the wall, what he has seen written by this hand, that he's willing to make someone royalty if they can decipher it and interpret it. He said, only you and my father will be above you. What does he want to know? What's going to happen to me? That's what he wants to know. The wise men say they don't know. And in verse 9, he gets even worse than he was than when he had his accident. It could be that the power and judgment of God is pressing down on him. Now, some of you know what that's like. I know what that's like. 
I am terrified of that. It happened to me 30-something years ago, and I'm still shuddering. (laughs) I still shake when I think of it. It was hard, but it was necessary for me to change. Now, you could say that the king turned to religion. And many people do in a time of crisis. I'm going to bring in the religious leaders I have of my my kingdom. But God, and and you might want to hold on a little bit for this next statement that I'm about to make, uh, God will prove calling for the religious guys to be useless. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, whether you're here, watching in another room, watching online, first off, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. I hope to get the chance to meet you. Come up and tell me after service you're not a follower of Jesus. You say nobody ever does that. It actually happens quite often. And some of those people are now sitting here and they are followers of Jesus. Not all are, but some are. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there, too, if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.